What's up, everybody? Welcome, welcome to the Artists of Data Science podcast. It is Friday, July 8th, 2022. Uh, man, the year is flying by super quick. I feel like I say that every episode. Uh, it's not a broken record at this point, but I uh, can't believe that we're well over the second, well, well into the second half of the year. Uh, I feel like the beginning of my year kind of sucked, uh, but I'm looking to turn it around uh, on the second half of the year. So definitely, definitely, uh, definitely getting pumped up, man. I've been burnt out for a while, so I'm excited to kind of get back into it. Um, guys, this episode that you're listening to right now, it's brought to you by Z by HP. Get rapid results from the most demanding data sets, train data models, and create data visualization with Z data science laptops and desktop workstations. The data science stack manager provides convenient access to popular tools and updates them automatically to help you customize your environment on Windows or Ubuntu. Feel free to come by and uh, ask any questions or visit uh, hp.com uh, for more information. Um, all right, so there is no new podcast episode released today. Uh, that's because um, podcast kind of on a, on a hiatus. As you guys know, my basement was flooded at the kind of the beginning of the year, and I just kind of been going off of my backlog of episodes. I finally cleared off the backlog of episodes. Haven't recorded a brand new episode since um, at this point must have been like mid May or sorry mid December of last year when I recorded a episode. Um, so clear out, I'm out of a podcast episodes, but we'll get back up soon. Um, there's a couple of special episodes that I'll be releasing. Um, I did a talk with uh, Kiko and Mark on managing your mental health as a data scientist. That's going to be released. Um, so keep an eye out for that. And then I'll be re-releasing some older episodes from Backlog. Uh, there's actually an episode that um, Abraham Cherian uh, recorded an interview with me for his podcast, and he asked that I could, you know, ask that I reshare on my podcast. I'll do that as well. Um, but keep an eye out for new episodes; they are coming soon. All right, guys, that's enough from me. Let's go to questions. Uh, but first, shout out to everybody joining us. Uh, Jay, what's going on? Christian, good to see you. Russell, Gina, Megan, Eric, Mikiko, Serge. Shout out to Megan. Megan just bought a house. That's awesome. Congratulations. Uh, and I've never got to welcome Megan to the podcast. So welcome. I might have to do it uh, multiple times in this episode. Uh, so thank you, Harvey. <laughs> let's go to uh, Jay for his question. By the way, if you're tuning in on YouTube or on LinkedIn or wherever it is you're tuning in, maybe even Twitch, uh, go ahead and drop a question. I'm monitoring all those channels. I'll be sure to get your question. And also, if you're in the room and you have a question, go ahead, type your question out or just say that you got a question. I'll add you to the queue. If at any point you want to respond or kind of chime into whatever question is happening, be sure to use the raise hand icon uh, here in the Zoom room and I'll add you to the queue. But Jay, go for it, man. All right, thank you so much. So the general question is, say you have a data science project that you want to do on the side, you really like the idea, you want to get started with it. But you know, you do it after work because you know you have to still do your own work, but work leaves you screen fatigued. And so the general question is, what are techniques or methods that everyone here in the uh, in the podcast do does to be able to mitigate such screen fatigue so that we can get on with doing that side project that you've been looking forward to? I love that. That is a very, very good question. It's an appropriate question. So my wife is an optometrist, so she always warns me about this like all the time. Uh, so she's got me like these glasses that reflect blue light. Um, so that's been helpful. But a simple trick she taught me was uh, the 2020 20 rule. So every 20 minutes, just get up, 
look at something 20 feet away for like 20 seconds. So just kind of stare off into space uh, every 20 minutes for about 20 seconds. And that I feel like has dramatically helped with, with like my eyes drive out and, and things like that. Um, but I'm curious to see, or also just kind of, I don't know if that's what you meant by, by screen fatigue. Uh, or, <laughs> you know, like yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. It's like you say you get off work, you get home, and the last thing you want to do is look at the screen again. So okay. exactly okay. that. Okay, uh, I'd love to hear from uh, everybody else here. Uh, Makiko, go for it. Ben, good to see you again, Ben. Uh, shout out to Ben. Uh, so we'll go to Makiko, then we'll go to Megan, and then Ben. How do you guys? Uh, how do you guys deal with screen fatigue? Go for it, Mickey. So it's not even screen fatigue. It's um like boredom and under, oh, actually, I'm trying to figure out how much should I even say that this is recorded and my teammates are watching. No, and I mean, so, you know, we went through a bit of a rough acquisition at MailChimp. So there's a lot of times where like our workload was like not consistent or it was also not like interesting. You know, there was just things that were happening with the workload. So it's not even screen fatigue, but I feel like at the end of the day, there was a lot of days where I was just like, oh God, I'm just so burned out. It's not even looking at screens. Like, I don't even want to think code i don't want to think data anything even though like normally i love reading the books and i love like watching the youtube lectures i was just like i can't i don't have any creative juices left so i tried doing this thing where and i'm also not the 5 a.m club like no go i'm not a morning person um but it's also hard like if you start your workout if you start like the most un I'll say the most uninteresting thing. If you start the hardest thing that is also not your passion thing in the morning, you immediately get drained out at the end of the day. And I tried doing this thing where like I would set aside two, three hours at the end of the day, you know, to work on like content, work on side projects, all that. And it just wasn't happening. So finally I was like, also I was like going to bed stressed out. So finally what I had to do was basically say, instead of trying to do like the two, three hours, like every day maybe what i'll do is i'll set aside like my weekends so saturday sunday and then i would try to utilize whatever internal company resources to either take time off on fridays like for the afternoon or something like that or even negotiate for 20 percent time um so that's something that we do at mailchimp we basically say look 20 percent of all working hours is spent towards like foundation time it's spent towards self-development so that's also another thing that you can um you can negotiate with your manager potentially, because what you can do is you can work on stuff that both feeds your soul, like your side projects, but it also feeds it immediately to the business. Um, so that's the way you do it. So that's how I've done it where I'm like, look, I put in my like eight, nine hours, whatever, Monday to Thursday. Um, maybe I put in a few hours on Friday morning. Night times is like, for me, I work out, I eat good. I watch stranger things while knitting. You know, I also make like clothes. That's my hobby, my passion. And then Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I'm like, okay, this is my like, like my me time, my content time, my like learning side projects. And it's kind of better that way anyway, because I feel like if I only do two, three hours of like a personal project, it's like you're constantly context switching. Whereas I, I can just kind of be in the zone for like three days straight. And then I get a break for the next four days. So that's kind of how I approached it before I used to do the whole like, oh, let's just do incremental progress every day. But, you know, I'm just like, yo, that didn't work for me. So that's that's one option. Um, but also to negotiating the 20 percent time. I think it's actually a lot easier to do that than some people would think if you just put the right business value framing around it. And it's I, I would recommend that. Kiko, thank you very much. Uh, Megan, let's hear from you and let's go to uh, Ben after that. And if anybody else has tips here. 
on how to battle screen fatigue, please do uh, feel free to raise your hand and chime in. And if you got questions, if you're watching on LinkedIn, YouTube, or here in the uh, Zoom room, let me know in the chats and I will get your question queued up. Megan, go for it. Yeah, I, yeah, that, that screen fatigue problem and context switching is something I battle with every day. Um, working from home, it's really hard to power through that um, mid to late afternoon slump to try to switch gears to the million other things that I've signed myself up for after work. Um, and to be honest, like most days, I don't get to those things that I have been telling myself I need to do that day. Um, but I've, I've slowly been learning to give myself some grace for, you know, not getting to those things every single day. Um, sometimes it could just be like once or twice a week, um, or if it's on the weekends, that's totally cool too. Um, but on the days that I do get to all of those other um, outside of work tasks that I need to get to, um, what has helped is uh, what what Russell said in the chat, just switching up my landscape. Um, and, you know, going to a cafe down the street or to a library or something like that. And that just really gets me, if, if I do a different task somewhere other than um, this little nook of my house, it, it makes me sort of excited to, to tackle it. And um, yeah, it's like not, nothing super profound, but it, it works for me. And um, I, I used to hate leaving my house just because um, I'm like, I have everything I need here. Like, why would I waste the time to um, get dressed and go somewhere else? But it's actually made such a huge difference just um, going somewhere, going somewhere different for a change of scenery. Um, and then coming back, I actually can, like, once I come back from that um, different environment, I feel like I've accomplished a lot that day because I can successfully um, separate work from um, the other things in my life that I have to do. Whereas in the past where I was stuck at, at home all day, it, it all just blends together. And it's really easy to be like, uh, like, you know, it's really hard to switch off this one part of my brain and turn on this other part of my brain. But, you know, changing up your scenery is kind of like a, a hack to, to like do that for you. So that's helped me. Yeah, 100% co-signed that. Like since I've been displaced because we have flooding in the basement, I've been at this co-working center. Uh, this co-working center is like, it's this huge, it's like two stories and it's got like these different kinds of zones that I could sit in um, and just kind of switches, switches up the vibe a little bit when I get like tired of just being in my kind of cubicle-ish area, just go downstairs or go up here. Or even just go for a walk, I think it's, it's helpful. Um, so like it, it, I think like, you know, it's probably a matter of trying to get away from the screen as much as possible during the day in little increments to kind of uh, uh, save yourself from, from being fatigued. Uh, Megan, thank you so much. Uh, let's hear from uh, Ben Taylor. Also shout out to Serge in the building. Serge, what's going on? Uh, Coast lives in the house too. Uh, Archit, if you got questions, let me know. Uh, if anybody else has questions, uh, do let me know. Ben, go for it. I think this question makes me sad. Well, the reason it makes me sad is because I miss having screen fatigue. I I someone asked a couple of days ago what my favorite software suite is or like my regular go to, and the answer was Slack and Gmail, or like Slack and the G Suite. 
because it's been so long since I've like sat in a dungeon with music looking at a terminal for like and you feel like you're a superstar for you know six eight hours all day I completely agree what it's already been said context switching changing the environment going on a walk um because I remember the contrast you're trying to fix a bug it's impossible. You've already spent like two or three hours on it and you're racking your head. And, and we all know it's always going to be your fault, but sometimes you hope it's not, you hope it's like the universe or some impossible bug. It's always your fault. And then I take a 15 minute nap, go on a walk, come back, fix the bug in five minutes. And so I think there is that reminder that it's not, time is not a perfect, um, time and quality is important to consider like a 14 hour day is maybe not as productive as a seminar a day if you have the right breaks and stuff so yeah yeah i absolutely agree with that i feel like doing a lot of good quality work in, in like you know four to five hours a day is definitely more than enough Serge, uh, let's go to you Serge. and um, after Serge, let's go to russell i just got a chance to like kind of scroll through the chat russell's got some great insights and tips here as well uh, so we'll go to uh Serge and then russell go for it oh you needed Serge. Sorry, I kept I kept muting Serge and there's uh, <laughs> background noise. We'll go for it. Yeah, uh, the way I do it is, um, yeah, I I definitely try to block off some time during the weekends to do uh, my personal projects and freelance stuff. But if I feel the need to do it during the week, I I I just have a KVM switch and I switch between my uh, personal laptop and my work laptop with one like mouse click and it's fantastic. And so if I need to kind of change the scenery and, and do something else, I can do it and all my work is gone <laughs> in a split second, right? And I'm down to like personal work mode. Of course, that doesn't solve the kind of uh, need to kind of uh, go out and take a walk and that sort of thing or do some exercise. Although I have a standing desk too, so you know, that helps a little bit. It's not quite exercise, but it's uh, it's like much better than sitting all day, I have to say. What is that? What is a KVM switch? I don't feel like- A KVM it. switch is like an old school thing to switch between computers, right? Okay. Um, so it you, you have like, I have like a separate keyboard, an ergonomic keyboard, this one over here. Well, I don't know if you can see it. Um, and I also have a ergonomic mouse and they're connected to this device and that device is connected to my my laptops so um i i just have a switch in i i usually don't use the switch the, the, that switches between my my uh one computer and another but i i use the mouse the mouse with the button i can just do that and um yeah what it does is interfaces the the monitor the mouse and the keyboard that's why it's called KVM between oh. two devices. Well, it could be three or four or five, but generally like it's two. That's awesome. Absolutely love that. I wish, I wish like, I wish Apple's made ergonomic stuff. It's just like flat and then flat. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's, uh, let's go to, let's go to Russell and then Postdub. And then after that, um, we will go to Gina's questions. Um, so, okay, so let's do Russell Kostov, then, then Christian Benjamin's question. Uh, lots of great tips for you, uh, Jay. Hopefully, uh, just you know, keep in mind that this is recorded so you can go back and listen to uh, all these tips. Uh, uh, Russell, go for it. 
Thank you, Greg. Um, yeah, so uh, a lot of what I said in the chat has been echoed by other people already talking. Um, so I'll go on to say what I uh, refer to this entire process is like neuroplasticity. It's the ability to, to allow your brain to do different things. So I try to use that in the opposite direction to refresh my brain just by doing something different. And I try not to get too entrenched in doing one thing for multiple hours. It's very easy to do, and I do it far more often than I'd like. You know, sometimes I set to do something in the morning. My wife goes out, she says, yeah, I'll see you three or four hours later, and she comes back, and I, it's a blink of an eye for me. You know, I'm not eaten or, or drank anything in the time. Um, but I try not to do that wherever possible. So uh, I have a, a watch that gives me a little reminder uh, to, to move um, every hour if I haven't. Uh, so I take that opportunity to, to have a bit of a walk around the house, go and get a drink. Uh, and if I feel like I'm bogged down on something, I think snow blindness is a very good um, analogy for this. Uh, as Ben was saying, you're looking at code for a long time. You just can't spot the bug. Go and do something else. Take your eyes out of the code, you know, refresh your eyes. Uh, what I most commonly do is I'll read a little article on a, on a news website or I'll listen to a bit of music or... Um, you know, just go for a walk in the garden, just for like five minutes. It doesn't need to be a long period of time. Come back and look at it. And, and as Ben says, you know, with your refreshed eyes, it's, it's usually far more easy to to spot something there. So so that's my comment. Neuroplasticity, uh, have a bit of a read on it and try and utilize it to your advantage. Thank you very much. Let's go to uh, Costa, the Christian, and then we will go to Tina's uh, question. Yeah, so I guess, um, well, like I said in the chat, it's not just necessarily screen fatigue, right? Screen fatigue is a symptom. There's an overall thing which is just general fatigue, right? Um, now, you might be sitting in the same chair for, for a long time. You might be just stressed about thinking through the, the ch different challenges you're working on at work, right? And the worst thing I ever did is probably the best thing for someone else. Case in point, Surge has a KVM switch. I had a KVM switch. The problem became that I would very quickly, uh, you know, I'd go for dinner after work and then I'd come back and I'd be like, oh, actually, I think I know the, the solution of that problem. And I'd jump back into work at like 7.30. Or I'd wake up in the middle of the night and I'd be like, oh, actually, I should try this. And then I'd try something else at like 3 a.m. And my colleagues would be like, wait, why is there a 4 a.m. commit? Right? Why is there a PR opening at 3.30 in the morning? Dude, what's going on? Right? So we tend to throw ourselves at problems. We're, we're problem solvers. We, we have these bugs. We've got this bug. We've got this itch to attack a problem head on and just keep attacking it relentlessly. Right? And that can be a superpower, but also a real weakness. So for me, and I find this, it's very difficult to like leave the zone, leave the work zone. Right? I find if I close my work laptop entirely, unplug it, put it into my bag, right? That's enough of a physical barrier for me to turn that off and really turn my brain off all of those problems. Right? So it's almost like a ritualistic habit where I say, I have this ritual. At the end of the day, I'm going to close my laptop. I'm going to put it into my backpack. And then suddenly I'm a lot fresher. On days that I don't do that, I don't have the freshness to attack my personal projects, my personal learning, things like that. Because there's always that thing sitting there, whether I'm doing it or not, whether I'm using it or not. Um, there's that bit of a background, background noise, if you will. Um, 
so that's that's one thing and yeah like like russell said i also found that when i use uh, a smartwatch that can buzz essentially give myself a little vibration i um i basically set like a 25 minute timer here and i use like pomodoros and stuff like that and it's essentially a reminder every 20 minutes 25 minutes to get up do something to take a break to change what i'm doing right i can use the 2020 rule that Huffley was saying before but for me it's really that it's got to be something that's silent and tactile so that i can do it even when i'm in the office otherwise what works at home like a loud timer doesn't work when i'm in a loud office space right um so having something like this that can just do a little tactile buzz 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 uh it's really solid i think those things actually work but yeah monitor your overall fatigue your overall like how much have you slept the previous day and you know all of these other things like having having uh blue light filtering glasses i've, I've done that too it, it helps but it's that's addressing the symptom right the root causes the energy that you've got at the end of the day after work uh, and that could be from sleep that could be from stress that could be from the compounding factor of sleep stress and you know what you've eaten through the day so it's something i struggle with because i throw myself the problems and like russell says it might be three hours and I'd, I'd blink and suddenly three hours are gone and i've just been smashing out a problem you know um and it might just be that you're constantly jumping from fire to fire uh dealing with one thing or the other at work and that just tires you out in a way so energy monitoring is something that i'm and I'm really keen to hear if anybody has any tips. Let me know. Hit me up. DM me later. I'm really curious to see what people do uh, for energy management. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I'd love to hear that too. So if you're watching, listening, you've got tips, uh, please be sharing. Uh, let's go to Christian. Then after Christian, we're going to go to uh, Gina's question. Uh, and just a heads up, uh, Ben, Taylor, uh, Gina's got a question that's uh, kind of got a, a, a Ben tilt to it. So pay attention when, uh, when Gina's up. Uh, Christian, go for it. All right. So, yeah, I, I think for me, as far as facing fatigue, you know, after a long day of troubleshooting bug in a dashboard or what have you, um, for me, it's, I'm a verbal processor and that's probably specific to my personality, but I like to either call my mom or someone that I'm close to, a friend, extended family member, and just try to talk to them about uh, their day. And it kind of gets me out of my own world, cooped up here in my studio apartment. Um, I think I just get so into a problem too. I can relate and I hear that. So just talking to someone else for me and kind of sharing my life, I'm sharing their life. It just helps me to kind of recenter and then I'm able to go back to the problem later and attack it with a clean head. So, yeah, absolutely love that. I think that's a great benefit of doing these, uh, like, you know, weekly happy hour things. It kind of gives me a little bit of that, uh, what you're describing there. So yeah, excellent point. Thanks so much, Kristen. All right, Gina, let's go to, your question, go for it. And then uh, if you're still there, be sure to, to, to listen because it's got this. Gina says this question got some Ben vibes to it. If you're listening on YouTube, if you're watching on LinkedIn, uh, wherever you are and you had a question, feel free to go ahead and uh, type the question out and uh, I'll, I'll get you a question. Or if you want to join like the Zoom room, let me know, you know, send me a message, I'll get you a link to the Zoom room. Uh, and if you're watching this on Twitter and uh, or LinkedIn, Go ahead, smash that like. Give me that. You want a reaction, y'all? <laughs> Go for it, Gina. <laughs> Thanks, Arpreet. Um, yeah, so this question I, I think will be appealing to everybody on here, but I know uh, Ben is um, is in a uh, pretty big picture thinker role, or at least that's my impression. And I know 
Ben often um, when I've seen you on the, the happy hour, Ben, um, we've had some really interesting discussions that are, you know, pretty wide ranging. Um, so this question is related to that. Um, for those of us who do have insatiable curiosity, who um, love to learn about a great many things, um, but who may not be, you know, might like to have that T shape, you know, have a lot of breadth, but also some depth. And um, I, I do in a few different areas, but as I transition into data science, um, as a first pass, that may not be, you know, I might not find that perfect sweet spot of data science with whatever vertical or, you know, deep area of knowledge I have. And so I guess the question is, how can uh, those interested in, in, well, either data science practitioners currently or those who are looking to transition to data science, uh, who have, um, you know, this insatiable curiosity, what might folks recommend as far as how to best leverage that? Um, it, could it be, you know, as straightforward as saying, look, you know, part of being a data scientist is always being open to learning, always being, you know, wanting to stretch yourself. And, and those are traits that I think are very valued by many employers. Um, or is it something broader than that? Um, I, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on this. So Gina, to make sure I focus on the right question, is it how to satisfy this insatiable curiosity within the realm of data science and then also concepts of breadth versus depth? Um, or maybe yeah. laser well, focus yeah, me also, in. But... Yeah, I, I would say certainly, I mean, I think there's lots of opportunities for all of us to learn. And, and you know, in this field, we can be pursuing <clears throat> personal projects in addition to work, which is the kind of one of the things Jay was alluding to earlier, like, you know, I want to do some personal projects, but I've been working all day, you know, and you have this, you know, eye fatigue, brain fatigue. But as well, if you're marketing yourself, uh, you know, in, in a job search context or in a project, uh, you know, project work context, um, you know, how, how might one leverage that? Or are you better off just focusing on, you know, this is my depth, this is my area of depth, and here's how I can, yeah. I mean, you're trying to solve problems for companies. I guess what I'm getting at is maybe some companies or positions might value, you know, a, a kind of broad interdisciplinary thinking more than others. So um, that's, uh, yeah. you know, you could tell I'm kind of grappling with this. I'm trying to, to figure no, out. I, I love, I love where your, your mind's at, because this is, um, Maybe I'll I'll react to what I'm thinking and then you can uh, push back. But I think when people are starting out early on as a, as a data scientist, we always want, we tell them we, we want more breadth rather than depth. Because I've, I've been interviewing people where I found out they didn't know SQL or they didn't know something that was a huge red flag because you want some breadth. I don't expect them to be great at it, but if they haven't had any exposure. So breadth is good. But I think initially as a data scientist, there's vulnerability when you're, I, I felt that when I was more junior, I need to show people how smart I am. And sometimes you do that by chasing depth. You pick something, you just chase it down the rabbit hole, try to learn as much as you can. Now, later in my career, I'm a big fan of breadth beyond data science, because if you understand the sales process, if you understand marketing partnerships, if you understand the other ecosystems, you can still focus back to your depth pillar that you cared about, 
whether it's innovation or something, but now you'll bring a more mature perspective that we're working on some innovation in data science. Am I going to be able to market this? Are sellers going to be able to sell this without me? Are they even excited to sell this? Are they willing to list this as a top close reason? Um, the other thought too is AI is very unique because the it's, a, it's the intersection of everything. Philosophy, like creativity, the human mind, how it works. And I think that's why it makes it so fun, Gina, because you... For me, I think anyone here who's a podcast host can definitely relate to this. Ken G said it best where he said, I would still do my podcast if I had one listener. And he's bringing up a very important point because he gets smarter. If, you, if you're bringing on people that are truly diverse with their backgrounds, and if you have a conversation with them, you're really looking for, for, for people that are vulnerable because you, you don't want to feel like you're talking to someone who has a barrier. If you can really push the edges of possibility then you can do that over coffee over beer over drinks or if you have a podcast that you're hosting then you can selfishly bring people on where you have a conversation with like i just had a conversation with someone in music music theory it blew my mind because there's no such thing as the perfect song like the jack black can ai find the perfect song the answer is actually no there's no perfect but that's something i've never thought about and i'll never think about that unless i interact with that human and so diversity of interaction i think that kind of feeds that side but also i think something that's missing on the data science front is the art side like the art genius the storytelling the creativity the art and the music the more you can bring that into your domain i think the more exciting things become sorry not was i way off gina was i just kind of like all over the map or were there some uh, things no that... that's no that's great that i think that helps yeah i mean i know it's a huge question um but that's why I asked because I'm I'm trying to get a handle on where the value is, um, not just for ourselves. I mean, I value it obviously, but but you know I think there's always a tension between how much should I, how broad should I go, or if you're someone who loves to learn, how much should I indulge that versus how much should I be focused on very specific, you know. Um, skill sets and tasks and and the like and as we know there's just so many in data science and it's changing so quickly that you can't know everything you can't be an expert in everything yeah and not i know other people are going to jump in on this but this there's so many fascinating facets to this question because when i graduated in chemical engineering i've i spent years being angry i was so angry that i spent over a hundred thousand dollars in this college education i don't use any of it but hindsight, like I learned to learn. And so I would really encourage that activity of learning to learn, but don't limit yourself to data science. So if you go and you become a sales or customer facing data scientist supporting the sales process, maybe even become an AE, become a sales rep for a year or two, maybe get fired or succeed doing it and then go into marketing, then it's that learning to learn that I think makes us human. Um, if you're If work is easy, I would argue you have a problem for anyone listening, if work has become easy, then you're ready for your new challenge. And that could be in the company or at, without. There's always, there, there's no top tier. There's always, there's always another challenge that will kick your ass. And that's great. That's awesome. It's because you surround yourself with other people that are up for getting their asses kicked. And the, the, that's, that's the fun energy that makes this career so exciting. Anyway, I talked too long, but I'll turn it over to whoever else wanted to jump, jump in. Yeah, I absolutely love it. Uh, learning how to learn, it is one hell of a skill. I've actually got an episode with uh, Dr. Barbara Oakley. 
She actually created the course on Coursera called Learning How to Learn. It's a completely free course. I think it's only like a couple hours long. Definitely go and tune into that course. It is amazing. Um, and the episode I did with her, I think it was just called Learning How to Learn with Dr. Barbara Oakley. Check that out. And much the same vein of kind of learning how to learn, uh, did an episode with Andy Hunt. We called it Pragmatic, How to Become a Pragmatic Theater Scientist. He's the author of uh, not only a pragmatic programmer, but uh, pragmatic thinking and learning. So the kind of meat of the episode that we recorded was all about that pragmatic thinking and learning. By the way, I don't know if it's a plug, if I plug my own podcast on my podcast, um, but I, like I, that's part of the reason why I talk to all the diverse people that I talk to. Like you see me talking to authors from a wide variety of disciplines. I talk to philosophers, scientists, data scientists, just regular people, um, people, people. I guess, uh, and it's it, it's for that same reason, just to learn something. Like it, like it just gives me an excuse to explore something new, fun, and interesting. Um, and I would definitely, I'd continue to do this even if like there's no listeners to this podcast because it's. So much fun. Uh, ben, thank you so much. Uh, I asked Megan and Eric to go, but they were both, uh, uh, they're both like intimidated because Ben's still answering. You guys are still going, but uh, I'll give you time to, to recoup. Uh, let's go to Mikiko and I'll go to Megan and Eric. Go for Mikiko. Yeah, I think two things I also want to point out is like, there is like the ability to learn and there is like the willingness to let your yourself learn something that maybe doesn't bring in money. Like probably like a lot of people, I am descended from immigrant parents all about, you know, carrying on the American dream, you know, make sure to make the sacrifice of the ancestors worth it, you know, yada, 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 generational wealth, all that. Yeah. And there's like this whole thing about like how you can how you can kind of like lose your sense of your own like individual individuality and kind of your own passions by like constantly chasing the like the credibility the dollars uh, i gotta make my parents proud all that nonsense this is also why i'm in therapy uh because I, I was such a good daughter um but you know i think so i think there's two things i think one there's like like you have to sort of let yourself learn something even if there's not like a direct incentive attached to it like, I think that's really, really hard for some people. It's like, I, it's something I had to relearn because I had all these things I was very passionate about when I was younger. And I, I didn't really think they would kind of tie in. So in college, I ended up studying like anthropology, like monkeys. I mean, is that really, some people go, is that a really great model for how people work? Uh, unfortunately, yes, actually it is. Um, but anyway, you know, but it didn't directly lead to like the data scientist career, right? Like I kind of went to, growth and data analytics and data science then um now ml ops like kind of mostly self-taught i've only done like one or two boot camps at most like 1.5 um and yet these are all areas that are i i think considered very um innovative they're considered very highly desired all that good stuff and i'm definitely not in them because i'm smart or anything but i went into them because i was genuinely interested so when i was a data scientist i was genuinely interested in like oh Right. Okay. So now I have a pickled model. What do I do with it? Which ultimately like led me to try and answer the question of like, how do you actually deploy systems? Right. But it wasn't like with this idea that, oh, I'm going to go become an ML ops engineer and go work for a company and yada, yada, yada. It was like, oh my God, things are breaking. I want them to break less, you know? So there is that willingness to just kind of learn without having like a roadmap. And then also too, there's the willingness to kind of learn stuff that I'm going to be bad at. 
So like, I love boxing, I love dancing, I love making clothes. One of those I hope to turn into an activity, but the rest of it, I'm gonna be mediocre for the rest of my life. But you know, that's that's okay. Like I enjoy it, it keeps me healthy. Uh, you know, so I think a lot of it is just being like, okay with not following someone else's expectations and plans and kind of saying like, hey, just cause it doesn't, you know, bring me like some, you know, util or utility right now. Um, it, it helps make you happy. You enjoy your life more. And I think that's just like as equally as important as like, oh, yay, I got this like PhD. Oh, I got this certificate. Oh, look, I got this promotion. I got this magical job. Those things are important, but like, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, have you sort of actualized like what you wanted to get out of life? And that doesn't always directly correlate to like career, professional and like financial success. So. Thank you very much. Uh, let's go to uh, Megan and then let's go to Eric. Shout out to Eric Floss at Eric Floss Building. Uh, Gina, I think you have another question after this. So we'll go Megan, then we'll go uh, uh, Eric Sims and then we'll go back to Gina's question. If you're listening on LinkedIn uh, or YouTube, go ahead and drop your question in the, uh, in, the, in the chat there. I'll be sure to uh, get your question. Go for it, Megan. Yeah, I... Um, I've sort of gone on a, a tangent, like not related to the original question, but I'll try to uh, chime in in the direction that this conversation has gone um, on the topic of chasing things that, you know, you, you actually want to learn as opposed to things that um, might maximize your, your income or your title or, or whatnot. Um, for me, um, being like pretty early in my career, I, I will admit I have fallen prey to the, um, chasing, you know, status and money and titles a lot more than I'd like to admit. Um, I mean, you know, being so active on LinkedIn, you, um, see a lot about like the hype of data science, data analytics, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I, I came in. I came into data analytics and then data science, um, you know, being very easily influenced by um, those narratives. Um, but at the same time, I it it intersected with um, a period of my life where I realized I um, did not like to learn anything. Um, I I came from a finance field before data, and um, I had no incentive to grow or to learn or to challenge myself in that field. And so um, at that period of my life, it, it intersected with um, me seeing things on LinkedIn about this, this cool new field or not new, to, not new, but new to me um, called data analytics or, or data science. And so um, I, how I like my origin story in this field is, um, you know, wanting to go towards something that actually made me want to become better and and do better and um, challenge myself and and do the hard things which truthfully like never interested me before um, when I was in when I was in finance and so um, I I gravitated toward um, this thing called data this data field that you know I that for the first time in my life really did make me want to um, dig deep and and learn and challenge myself. And um, I have followed that like that 
direction and and listening to my gut in in that sense and so far in my very early career I think it's made me like feel fulfilled for the very first time um since graduating college um being like three years out of college so far um it has boded well for me and um yeah like that's that's my answer to like how I have experienced um like wanting to to learn things and actually grow so I don't know if that answers your question in the least bit Gina but um that is my my two cents no I think it's that's great advice I mean I'm a little bit further out in my career let's just say <laughs> three years out of college but um but good for you I mean that that's a lot of insight for those three years, I would say, especially to, you know, kind of have that pivot. And there are certain things, obviously, I think probably about finance and data science, you know, there's certain things in both areas that uh, were probably appealing to you. But in any case, I guess, no matter where we are, there's always an opportunity to, you know, to kind of keep growing, um, course correct, as the case may be. Um, I do think, you know, sometimes mid-career, it's, it's, it can be challenging because people, you know, if you're changing, you are coming without this, you know, you might be coming in as entry level in one sense, um, but then, but you don't, but then you have all this other experience. And I think a lot of times, you know, it's, it can be hard, I think, for companies to know where to put you. And so, um, yeah, I mean, one of the, just general parts of my question is how do you identify employers or you know anybody who collaborators who might appreciate that that kind of perspective and background um yeah so uh thank you megan that's that's awesome thanks so much thanks megan i love the good origin stories thank you for sharing yours i definitely appreciate that uh let's go to to uh Eric, there you are, Eric, you're still here. Um, and after Eric, go to Vivian. Vivian, I uh, just saw your message here in the chat uh, about repeating the original question, but I think uh, Gina just did that. So um, hopefully that, that was good. Um, and if you guys are watching on LinkedIn or on YouTube, you got questions, let me know. Uh, or if you had a question here in the chat, or rather if you're in the Zoom room, you got questions, let me know in the chat and I will get to you. Eric, go for it. And assume you mean me, not the other Eric, who's also here. Yes, 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 Eric Sims. Okay, cool. Uh, so, worked in uh, lots of different, um, lots of different areas over the past 10, 12 years. Um, and some have been more interested in my wanting to try and experiment and learn about different things than others. I'm not 100% sure how to identify those ahead of time other than like, I guess, I think that one of the most important parts is knowing myself uh, or knowing, you know, knowing oneself in order to be able to even be able to say like, I'm interested in these things or like I even have an idea, maybe the next few couple steps down the road of like some things that I'm interested in or I have the tendency to like find new things to be excited about. And of course, you know, I'm going to do my job, but, you know, I love 
getting involved across uh, across whether it's silos or department lines or whatever. And I think just like knowing that about oneself and being able to have that conversation with others, because I once upon a time had a, a job interview and they asked me, you know, where do you expect to be in five years or whatever? And like, really the only thing that I could say, because I don't know what I want to be when I grow up was like, not where I start. Um, you know, and I, I wasn't, I didn't have a problem with, you know, not necessarily being in the same company and that, that was fine. Um, but I, I knew that I wouldn't be where I started because I just like experimenting and seeing and trying and stuff. And so if that resonates with the person that I'm talking to, or if they can relate to it or share their own examples of it, then it's like, all right, cool. Like we're, we're, we're buddies here. This is, this is a good, a good conversation. But I think being able to identify that bef- even before that, so that you know whether or not you're even like, applying to the right organization i don't know the best thing i can think of is when i see like that comes off the top of my head is like shopify they i follow shopify on linkedin right and shopify posts um like stories about their people like all the time like they've been doing it for months and months and months and i don't know if they have like full-on blog posts associated with them or if they're like just little like short little snippets or whatever but it's cool because i can see a a pretty wide range of individuals that they spotlight who work in different areas of the company who can talk about their, their backgrounds and experience. And I think that that kind of gives me a feel for like, is this a company with uh, a lot of, a lot of diversity who's going to embrace some of the things that I want, or is it maybe a company that has a culture that I wouldn't resonate with and that's okay too. Um, So I think, you know, kind of like pinpointing a handful of places to then like listen to, or follow and try and get the feel for, for what makes them tick. Thank you very much. I like that. Uh, I like that response that, you know, where you see yourself in five years, I would use the uh, Mitch Hedberg line. So then five year anniversary, you'd be asking me this question. Like, that's a good one, Eric. Thanks so much. Um, does anybody want to go next? I forgot to have anybody queued up. Vivian, I had you queued up, sorry. Uh, let's, let's go to Vivian, and then after Vivian, we'll circle back to Gina's second question. Okay. Um, I guess I kind of went a different direction when I was thinking about this, but I was thinking, like, just give up. I don't know. That's how I feel. I read this book, or that's where I've been lately in, mentally. And I read this book called 4,000 Weeks that was, that's like time management for mortals. And like that book is so awesome. And like, honestly, life is stressful enough and there is enough things to do and accomplish. And instead of trying to do it all, just do what you want and give up on the rest. Like, just give up. Like, and I think that when it comes to like finding companies and things like that, I don't know, there's there's nothing wrong in my mind with being like overly blunt or upfront about things um, because you have nothing to lose. Like, you know, there's lots of times where I do my best work when I'm finally on the precipice of like, all right, like if I don't like just do whatever I can, I know I will fail. And so like, there is no, there is no risk anymore in just doing whatever I can and like being as blunt as possible or like, you know, whatever, because there's no, like, like, I already can see that I will fail if I don't do something. So like, at this point, there's, there's no point in holding back anymore. Like, like, you're allowed to, to, you know, 
be blunt with companies about like oh i have an alternative background or whatever and like i don't know i i also have you know i think a lot of us in this field are like career changers and things like that and have a diverse background um but some of the best people that i work with are the people who manage to find the company through alternative means and like have non-traditional backgrounds and i don't know i don't i don't know how to like you know make companies like change is this what we're talking about by the way and I, I hope i'm not like just way out of the field but no i love it i love where it's going there but i don't know how to make companies like change or anything but like i do know that if you, maybe if maybe there's wisdom in like the giving up and just like having nothing to lose and being upfront about who you are and what you have to offer that will make magic happen of like finding those companies that feel the way you feel and like and value that sort of thing but like i i actually started at meta with their like return to work program so i actually started as a like alternative type of employee and in I really feel super passionately about these types of programs because there's several like engineers that I work with and stuff who were like rotational. They started as rotational engineers and it just brings so much more diversity too, because those people are always like the women, the people of color, like the people who have, you know, those different backgrounds. And I don't know, it's just, it's just awesome to like work with those people and to feel like, you bring a lot more like perspectives to the room and things like that. And a lot of like different kinds of people together and I'm one of them. So I, I don't know. I really feel passionately about that. <laughs> Thank you very much. Vivian. Yeah. I'm actually, I started le uh, listening to 4,000 weeks earlier this week. Uh, now I guess I've got 3,000 I left, um, but, that, but yeah, it's a very, very good book. Um, really enjoying it so far. Matt Bloss is here in the room. Uh, Sinking one on one with Matt Blog yesterday, and we were talking about something similar. Uh, I was telling him that I'm just kind of letting, letting everything fall apart right now. And he brought up this idea of like Shu Hari, uh, which is like a martial arts kind of concept. And the first thing is like, you know, gathering. Like, so the reason we're talking about this is similar to what Mikiko was saying in the chat about following all these productivity hacks and, and like all the self improvement type of stuff which is what the author of 4,000 Weeks is talking about. He's a self-professed uh, productivity geek. And just like absorbing all this knowledge and say, like, fuck, what do I do with all this shit? He's like, it's a lot of fucking information. I got no clue how to like use any of it now. It's saturated. So then just let it all kind of fall apart. Can you like master the fundamentals, master the basics, let everything fall apart. You kind of put stuff back together in your own way. Uh, this is, I guess, unrelated to anything that we're just talking about at the current moment, but, uh, that's what happy hours are all about. Vivian, thank you very much. Uh, what, what's next? What's the next question? I guess let's, uh, on that note, the next question. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I just want to say thanks, Vivian, because that was awesome. And I think, yeah, it, it, sometimes it's really hard to like kind of give in to, you know, just the reality, which is you can only do so much. And so then you're best off just focusing on the things that you do best that you like to do, but it can be so hard when, you know, there's so many different, and now with the internet, everybody's got an opinion and everybody can publish it. And so then we have that much more information, which is a cognitive load. I see Christian has his hand up. Um, did yeah. you want to add, add something? 
Yeah. I actually real was. Quick, real quick, sorry, real quick. I forgot, like, I had a point to make with you know, where you're asking about how do you figure out if a company is like this, where they kind of embrace this diversity of backgrounds. Just go to the LinkedIn page and, like, you know, if, if you can get access to the LinkedIn profiles of the people who you are interviewing for and just look at all the backgrounds and just look, all right, where's this person coming from? Where's this person coming from? I mean, LinkedIn is just kind of, you know, a resume, but I think it, it gives some indication. Um, sorry about that, Christian. Go for it. No, no worries. I was just wondering um, if I could ask a question. Yeah, yeah, uh, go for yeah. It. Okay, perfect. Um, so, and I I posted when I entered into the chat room um, or the Zoom room rather. But uh, essentially, I'm just kind of in a position right now where I'm I'm kind of locked into one tool. And I want to get more experience in the larger, broader stack of data engineering, but I'm really locked into Looker right now. So I guess I, I'm just wondering if anyone has any advice um, for navigating that within a company or, you know, how to, I mean, I know I, like working on projects like is ideal, but at the same time, I have to do these like trial periods for Snowflake or DBT. And I've done like some hands-on labs recently, but it's not long enough. And I want to actually be able to work with the data set. Um, and then I also have a consultancy. So I'm trying to build, you know, some kind of project for one of my, you know, target market uh, businesses, small businesses that I'm trying to connect with. So I'm just wondering if anyone has any advice on how to level up if at your current like day job, you're not necessarily getting all of the tools that you need to really be considered like a full stack engineer or scientist. Let's go with Kiko and then if anybody else has to chime in here, please do uh, let me know. Kiko, go for it. A uh, quick question. Are you at a company that would be considered like an enterprise legacy kind of thing, like old school? They've got lots of lots of stuff going on, like <laughs> yes. yada, yada. Absolutely, yeah, it's a Fortune 500, yep. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wow. So, and there's like, is there like internal rate, uh, internal red tape and politics? Yeah, because each engineer is designated to their specific tools. So we have ETL engineer, Snowflake architects, and then Looker engineers. And I'm on the Looker visualization engineering side of it. Gotcha. Okay, yep. cool. Yeah, I think like at MailChimp, I, my team works with, uh, like similar teams they're called like they go under data services so it's like sure. analytic engineering like you know data delivery orchestration all that um and we've kind of struggled honestly because our teams are siloed it ends up happening that way just because people are heads down they're doing their work and all that other stuff and it's like well we don't want to make changes we, we don't want the data pipelines to break that feed the entire company yada yada um so two ways i so i still think that like negotiating 20 percent time with your manager is really great. And especially if you can get like ground up support. So like you put it in the ear of all your friends and everyone like goes, hey, could we all do 20% time? So that's one way to do it. Um, another way to do it is to actually uh, volunteer to host internal hackathons that pair up different people from different teams. We've done that three times. One was for testing out GPT-3 and then there's like two others. That has been really successful. And more importantly, it looks really amazing when it comes up for your promotion time when they're like, oh, this person, inter you know, they improved the internal culture and they made morale go up and all that other stuff, right? It's good leadership. So that's one way to do it. Um, wow. A third way to do it is uh, there are probably people on your team who honestly feel very similarly. I know in my team, 
And in other teams I was partnering with, uh, people were like, we kind of want a little bit more like exposure. And we were going through the acquisition. So the business, you know, leaders could not really like justify that kind of cut and like spend. And so what we did was we found like some external hackathons or open source projects. And like a group of us just kind of would do that like on our off time together. And the fun part was if it, if it looked interesting and was like a viable candidate for use within the company, and especially if there were members from different teams, uh, we could all kind of pitch that and bring that up. And that would be one way to get inserted into like a tooling or project. Um, another way also sometimes is um, offering, I wouldn't really suggest this, but you could, uh, offering to help cover on-call time. That can be a great way to go about it. It's painful. No one wants to do on-call, and yet that's where you learn a lot about the internal tooling, where you learn about the bugs that come up, and um, and people always love free on-call labor so much. Everyone loves that. So that can be another way to do it. Um, it also, too, if your company, uh, if they're like a Fortune 500, they probably have some kind of like educational reimbursement or what have you. So you can also bring that up with your manager, say like, hey, you know, like there's like this certification or project-based like program I want to do, you know, and I think it'd be really good for our team, help expand our like capabilities, yeah. yada, 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 you know, just kind of plug and play into the strategy at the time. And those are, those are a couple ways to do it, like in an enterprise -y company. It's like so different from a startup where you could literally walk over and go, hey, can I help you out? They'll be like, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. But enterprise companies, right, you always have to kind of soften it and do a little bit of finagling, but there are ways to do it. We have done all the ways. Internal hackathons too, what's really nice is if you pitch it, you can also get um, internal funding for it. So like funding for extra compute, try out new tools, all that other stuff. Sure, I love it. Yeah, um, and I, I actually did get certified in Snowflake uh, last year, end of last year, to try to break into Snowflake. And it, yeah, I just haven't had much movement on, on it. But uh, yeah, no, those are those are great insights. So I appreciate it. Uh, let's go to uh, Serge next on this. Uh, and if somebody else wants to chime in here, it's definitely love to hear from you. Uh, but you know, I'm probably asking you different questions, but uh, I just want to do a quick shout out. There's a uh, talk I saw at MLOps World Conference in Toronto is by Dean Clevin. He's the uh, CEO of Dags Hub, a friend of mine as well. Um, and he had this like kind of five-step process for evaluating the tool. I don't think I'm not really asking answer the, your question exactly, um, but his scenario was essentially with all these tools out there, how do I figure out the right one to learn, the right one to invest time in, the right one for my actual problem. And his five-step pro process was to find the problem, define the problem parameters, Google the problem, see if anybody else has done work on it and has any insights, uh, evaluate the solutions and integrate. I think it, it's called solving MLOps from first principles. Uh, there's like an entire uh, slide and um, there might be like a video or something coming around, but uh, check that out. Let's go to Serge and then if everybody else would like to chime in here, we'd love to hear from you. Um, let me know. Well, uh, a good way, I think, to level up is to um, seek people in your company that do the job you want to do, or at least the one you want to learn the most about, and ask your uh, manager to let him let you shadow this person um, and um, create like uh, have informational interviews with, you know, um, informal interviews, I mean, with this person as well, um, just to kind of pick their brain. Um, 
you know, they'll, they'll, they're going to be able to give you tips of how to best get there within your organization, which I believe is, is a far quicker way than doing it outside of your organization, unless that, you know, job does not exist in your organization. Um, but yeah, that, that's where be my two cents. Thank you very much. Uh, Jay, Megan, Archip, uh, Eric, anything to add here? Uh, first one time you can send those, <laughs> let me know. All right, Christian, any 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 follow-up thoughts or any follow-up um, you know, points? Yeah, no, I think it's good. It's tough. Um, it's tough when you work remote and a majority of your colleagues are in India. Um, that time difference definitely can inhibit. And then on top of that, I don't have um, a physical location uh, where I, I'm based out of a company's located in Chicago. So I've done a few informational sessions. I love that idea. That's great. Um, it just, it's hard to uh, create any, any traction with that, I guess, when you're just kind of posted up alone at your desk in your apartment. So yeah, but I really appreciate it. Great question, man. Thanks for asking. Uh, Gina, I think you had a, another question if you want to uh, go for it. Yeah, thanks, Harpreet. Um, so this one's just a lot more straightforward than my last one. Uh, this one has to do with um, um, what people's experiences have been with um, trying to obtain project work. Have people used Upwork or other platforms? I came across one called FlexJobs, but it's like a subscription model for candidates, which instantly has me kind of scratching my head a little bit, um, but maybe there's a good reason for it. Um, so it, it, anyone has thoughts on this or experience with these or other platforms? I mean, obviously word of mouth is one way to, to get business. Um, I've done it in the past with other consulting work that I've done, but specifically around data science, I'd love to know people's thoughts. Oh yeah, Eric, you said it's for remote work. Which is, yeah, that's fine too. I, I, I'm curious to know, um, yeah, if Flex Jobs, if anyone has experience with them, what their, what your impression is of a subscription model where the candidates having to pay uh, money for that. So just to kind of make sure I understand questions like the, how to get clients like freelance type of work, like consulting projects type of thing. Yeah, um, certainly Upwork is one example of that. But as well, I was asking about uh, flex jobs because, and Eric pointed out in the comments that that is a platform for remote only work, which I am also interested in um, as full time employment. So I'm, you know, basically looking at various different options. And, um, but the, you know, it seems somewhat unusual to have candidates paying money for subscriptions. So um, yeah, I'm I, just I curious to know. throw something out there about that. Okay. So yeah, so like sites like Upwork and others, that's more like a like a bid bid for work type model, right? And so you're probably familiar with it, you know. Uh, FlexJobs is different in that, so FlexJobs is kind of, the best way that I understand it is it's kind of like, you know, any other job searching site, except that it's going to be like all remote work. Um, and so you can, and you can find like, it's not an exclusive 
job board. Like you can find flex jobs, jobs elsewhere, I, I believe. Um, my wife had a subscription for it. Um, and so, but the nice thing is it's just going to be more curated. Um, so you're probably going to, you know, you're going to have less to sift through um, and be able to probably find more what you're looking for. It's not necessarily oriented towards like freelance work. It's not a gig, a gig site like, like Upwork or, or others. Um, and so, so yeah, I mean, I would just say, think about that before you go into it. It's not too expensive uh, for a subscription. So, you know, I mean, I think you can get 90 days for the price of 30 or something like that. If you try it out, if you, if you, if you get it right. So it's not, I don't think it's too bad and it's not like a, it's not like a pay by the application or, or something like that with like Upwork where you, if you get paid, they're going to take their, their cut of your, of your payment through their platform or whatever. So I feel like it's somewhere kind of in the middle. Uh, you know, on, on that topic of, of freelance, oh, Serge, yeah, uh, real quick, but on the topic of freelancing, a couple of episodes you might want to check out in the podcast. One is with uh, uh, Allison Grade. We uh, showed up the freelancer's Bible and we did like an episode called Freelancing for Data Scientists. Uh, also, Curtis Pikes, a uh, well-known freelancer. I've uh, got an episode with him. I think he's been on Ken's podcast as well. I was definitely looking at stuff by him. Uh, Serge, go for it. Yeah, no, just quickly going to add one more into the mix. I don't know if you heard of uh, Code Mentor, but back in my web development days, I, uh, I, I also occasionally would find work through there. Well, my, my specialty was more like uh, involving like Mongo, big data technologies and some like mobile app developing. And what I found is, is since you're like a mentor to other coders, I think they kind of value your work more. Um, I see now they have, and I have never bidded here or like offered my services, but they have Tableau, uh, MATLAB, machine learning, you know, like several possibilities there of what you can offer. Um, and uh, I, I think the rates are higher there, or you know, at least were back when I would do it like five years ago, four years ago. And I think it's still the case than in other places. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'd, off, I'd throw that option out there. There's another um, website, I guess another service called TopTal, T-O-P-T-A-L. And these folks specialize in like tech type of jobs. Um, so like the software developers, designers, finance people, product managers. Um, they also have data scientists on there as well. So that could be something to check out for you as well. Awesome. Uh, any other questions or points that everybody wants to bring up that I missed? Did somebody say they had a question, but I missed it? Uh, chat's been real hot today. So it's possible that, uh, that I missed the question. All right, cool. Well, um, so there's actually a comment coming in from Fiona's, uh, uh, man, I can't even say last name, Ro Banheimer. Uh, he says, not a question, but how cool to have Megan, Lou, and Eric sitting in the podcast. I've been listening to the podcast for quite a while. Super cool to see these names here. Uh, well, this is this is actually, yes, really cool. Welcome, Megan. Finally, welcome you already to the podcast. Uh, welcome here. Um, yeah, like, I mean, Eric's a regular, Eric's here all the time. But both of them at the same, at the same time? Yes, I agree. Dope. Awesome. Um, do you have any chime in on how awesome you guys are? <laughs> uh, thank you so much, uh, Dion, Dionis. Um, all right, guys. So we'll be back next week. Uh, remember, the podcast is kind of on a bit of a hiatus because uh, 
ran out of episodes to release. So uh, seven months without recording a single episode, eight months without recording a single episode, and finally ran out. That just tells you how hard I was going with, with these recording sprints. Um, so we'll be back in action, um, start re-recording stuff, hopefully in August when, uh, when my basement is back and I've got equipment and all that stuff. Uh, next week, we'll be at the same time, but I'll be on location. Uh, recording from my parents' backyard in hot ass Elk Grove, California. Um, but hopefully, my dad's not tuning in. I know he likes to uh, tune in. It's supposed to be a surprise when I'm going there. Um, but dad might just act surprised. Y'all take care. Have a good rest of the weekend. Huge shout out to the sponsors for this episode Z by HP. Remember, go to HP hp.com forward slash data science to learn more about Z by HP's. Uh, machines especially built for data science. My friends, remember you got one life on the planet, why not try to do some big kids?